Buddy together. And uh, we'll begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the, the beauty of creation. Uh, even all of creation declares your glory, and we thank you for it. Lord, we do uh, pray as we look at Proverbs that you'd give us wisdom. We pray uh, for the sermon today through Bob and 1 Corinthians. You'd, we ask that you'd help us to understand these texts so that we would be more like you, Heavenly Father, that we'd be more like your Son, and that we would be conformed to his image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to finish off some slides that we didn't get to last time. And if you remember, we were giving kind of an introduction into the major themes of the book of Proverbs. One of the major themes is you're either on the way of the fool, the way of the wise. Two different ways. You're either going the way of the fool or the way of the wise. Well, we talk about the way of the fool is often seen in Scripture as synonymous with those who are young. Now, that doesn't mean every single young person is foolish, and it doesn't mean every single older person is wise, but there is a stereotype in the Scriptures. And yes, the Scriptures do give us stereotypes, because without seeing patterns in life, you can have no wisdom. Now, of course, there's always exceptions, and that requires wisdom as well. But I want to talk about this slide we left off on last time. Remember, we looked at Proverbs 22.6, where it said, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Some have taken this as a promise that if you teach your son or daughter godly wisdom, they will never depart from it. Others have taken this. I've seen this often used in different uh, scenarios regarding education where people will say, if you find the natural bent of your son or daughter and you help them, for example, if your son is good with his hands and you help train them in using their hands, they'll never depart from it. But the problem with that is that's probably not what this text is about. And we looked at the better translation renders that phrase, the way. In fact, it should be the whole thing, the way he should go. It's better rendered his way. Train up a child in his way. And the his, by the way, should be a small h. Let me pull up my pointer. This should be a small h. It's not referring to God. Tom Getch had found that. I appreciated that. So it's literally, train up a child in his way, the child's way, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, there's a natural bent to children because they're born dead sinners in Adam. And the idea is they're on the road to perdition. That's the default position of every person. And so the only way to get them off of that is to train them in the scriptures. And by God's grace, God would convert them. Okay, so that's the distinction that we see. Now, a few things I want to talk about. When I was a younger Christian, I used to hear this passage bantered about quite often. And it was, well, we don't need any of that fancy book learning and all this scholarship. After all, doesn't God say that you should have Jesus in particular say that you should have the faith of a child. And if you have that childlike faith, that's all that's required. And the implication behind that is somehow we're called to not learn much or know much because that somehow distorts Christianity. And where people get this is found in Matthew 18, 1 through 3. And I want to tie this into this idea of youthfulness and some of the imagery of foolishness. Is Jesus asking us in this passage to become foolish or unwise or simple in our thought. Notice what he says, Matthew 18, 1 through 3. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So notice the phrase in red, that you become like children. And again, when I was a brand new Christian, what that meant to me is that you have to be simple. Don't think hard. Don't worry about commentaries and Greek grammar and Hebrew and all of this. Just be simple. But is that really what Jesus' point is? Well, I'll tell you what actually made a big impact on me, showing me that that's not Jesus' point, is Bob DeWay's teaching. He did a masterful job teaching through the book of Luke in the 2000s. And Bob had taught us really well about this idea of, in the Gospels especially, one of the things you'll see the disciples craving for is status. They long to have status in the eyes of the world. Because why? All human beings do. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to be despised by the world. And you have to be willing to be despised. Well, in the Hebrew culture in Israel, children were not to be listened to. Children, you know, you've heard the saying, they're better to be seen than heard, right? Isn't that what a big saying in America is about children? Well, that's true in Israel especially, that children are not really to be respected. They have no status. And so when Jesus says that we are to become like children, if we're going to be a follower of his, he's not saying that we should be foolish or simple in our thinking or our understanding of Scripture. What he's saying is that we shouldn't be concerned about status. And I learned that, thankfully, from Bob, who really helped me understand that. This is way back in 2000, I think, six. I think we were back at the old building still downtown um, when you were teaching Luke. I started Luke there, but it took quite a Yeah. Well, anyway, that's where um, I learned this, and I, I was very grateful for that understanding. So does that make sense? When we see this t- passage in Matthew 18, 1 through 3, what I want to do is connect it back to the idea in Proverbs that the way of the youth is the way of the fool. So Jesus is not asking us to become foolish here. There's no contradiction in Scripture. He's asking people not to be concerned with status. So again, what I'm trying to do is take Proverbs now and show you how it applies to the rest of the canon, the rest of Scripture. Okay? Yes, Eric. Thanks, Carly. Um, getting back to the Proverbs 22, uh, 6. Yes. In my Bible, I've got a translation note. Now, that PT that you've got on the screen, does that mean preferred translation? Is um, that what personal that? translation. I, okay. I, I didn't really spend a lot of time looking for it. I just right. I learned this actually when I was doing um, Hebrew exegesis from a, a yeah. man named Dwayne Garrett. So this isn't just me thinking of it. It right. was other people as well. So. I've got a translation note that supports what you're saying. Oh, good. In my Bible. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it is... Um, the, the alternative, instead of train up the child in the way he should go, I have train up the child according to his way, according to his way, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. So um, yeah. what I was going to ask, and maybe it's beyond the scope, in other words, the, the Hebrew, uh, there must be some support then for this when you look at the original Hebrew language and the syntax and all of that stuff, yeah, which, and which Eric, is beyond what it is, me. <laughs> No, absolutely. What it is is um, on the endings of the Hebrew language, there's prefix or excuse me suffixes 
So a prefix goes before the word or at the beginning of the word. The suffix is at the end. So remember, you're reading in Hebrew right to left. So at the left end of this word, it's what's called a third-person pronominal suffix. I was just thinking that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So what that tells us is it's literally his way. And for some reason, our English translators, every now and then they'll do this. They get into kind of groupthink where they'll just in mass kind of all say the same thing. And I don't know why that is because I don't think this is that difficult, to be honest with you. Um, What you read said according to his way. There could be some discrepancies in the preposition. There's some uh, fluidity to the prepositions. Mm -hmm. But the big issue is it's his way. That's right. Um, And it would refer to the child's way. And that's, that's right. what I want people to see is it's not the way the child should go, but it's the child's way. Yeah. And that's a big difference. Absolutely. See, should go, see when you say should go, that's, there's a moral hint there that this is what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. That's not what the text is alluding to at all. What the text is saying is it's the child's way, and in Proverbs, that's the way of the fool. So, very good. And one other comment, and that is that in the Matthew that you had on the next slide, yeah, yeah. you know, what, what, what you're saying here, and I agree with this totally, children have many characteristics, okay? One yeah. of them is foolishness. Yeah. And another one is that in that culture that they counted for nothing. That's right. So and that's I, I think Jesus that's point. right. It, to, to, try to, to try to use Matthew 18 and Proverbs 22 and... and get some sort of meaning that that would not be correct, you know. Right. So the way this applies, Eric, and thank you for bringing that up, is let's say you're at a Bible study and you really do some long research and you really think you've kind of helped aid everyone in understanding a passage. And all of a sudden afterwards, someone pulls you aside and says, you know, we don't really need to hear these commentaries. Don't you know that we need a childlike faith? And all this fancy book learning is going to lead us away from the Lord. After all, we're to be like children. That is not what this text is calling us to. It's not calling us to be simple. It's calling us not to be concerned with status. Okay, so again, there's no contradiction between Proverbs and what Jesus is saying here. Um, Bob is going to be teaching us in 1 Corinthians, and I'm very excited about that. You're going to be blown away by how well you're going to know that book by the time we're done. But I want to talk about the gospel and foolishness before we move on to our next section in our homework. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you back there. I apologize. And what's your name? Solomon. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Solomon. Like Solomon. Solomon in the Bible. Like, oh, Solomon. Great. Yeah, Wonderful. He says Solomon is so like so Solomon. Oh, Solomon. Yeah. Got you. Great, great. Yeah. Thank you for being here. No problem, Eric. I was just curious about um, what kind of status are you talking about? Like um, children, like Christians should not... Um, look forward um, in having status. That is your, your explanation. I'm just curious, like... Oh, sure. Is there any way you can relate it to, like, life, you know, things? Because yes, know, yeah. absolutely. No, very good question. So you're, you're wondering what kind of status am I referring to when I'm saying they, they had no status, the children in that day. And what I would say is uh, maybe a good analogy would be, have you ever been in a, a ceremony where someone is being honored and... Um, for example, let's say you see a military ceremony, and the, there's the colonel and there's the general. They all have high status. When they come in the room, everybody stands at attention. Well, that's something that you don't see bestowed upon children. In the culture in Israel, there's no honor bestowed to them. They're not revered as something important um, in the sense that they have something important to say, that they are 
to be listened to or emulated or that somehow they have a lot to offer. Now, that doesn't mean they, they weren't loved and cherished. It simply means that they really had low status. They weren't esteemed um, in their culture to have a lot of, uh, I want to say worth, because worth implies they're not loved and cherished. But it wasn't as if people were hanging on their every word, that sort of idea. Yeah, Bob, maybe Bob can uh, contribute to the- Well, um, if you want to read some interesting material to help yeah. you, I would read the works of uh, Kenneth Bailey. Yep. Uh, Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes and other material that helped me. Yeah. But see, um, in the Middle East and in Israel, ancient Israel, you had an honor shame society. Yeah. Okay. And so understanding that helps you understand a lot of the scriptures. The author determines the meaning. Amen. Okay. The elderly were honored. Amen. And honorable in the eyes of people in general. And in America, the elderly are shamed. Yeah, it's reverse. Because we actually poke fun at people or make fun of them by telling them they're old. Right, right. Whereas in Israel, if you told somebody they were old, you were saying you're an honorable person. Right, right. Now, that's still true uh, in some versions of conservative Judaism today. Yeah. Because when we bought this building, we, the group that I was in, in 2006, when we bought this building and remodeled it, we bought it from a a synagogue, Sharia said. Yeah. And I was just telling some guys about this. At the very meeting where we sat down to do the deal, we're going to buy this for so much. Here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do. They brought their oldest member. Mm. The oldest person that was alive and still a member of the synagogue was at the meeting where we made the final deal. And the rabbi explained to us, we do this to honor you. Because this is our most honorable member because he's the oldest. Okay, so uh, I was just joking with somebody here. (laughs) Uh, Now that I'm 70, I think I want to start adopting that view. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, (laughs) frankly, the biblical view is that, as Eric is saying, to be a child didn't mean meant that you hadn't earned that kind of status and you're probably foolish. Right, it's a great analogy. And you had a lot to learn. So to become like a child, you don't demand status in the culture around you. Very good answer. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, okay. Very good. Um, Solomon, does that help? Yeah. So very good. Very good question. Thank you. And we got one from Eric. Yes. So I'm just, I promise I'll quiet down here. No, no, soon. no. Okay. Uh, what I was just thinking too is, you know, the role of children, and I don't know if this, I would, I think this probably would have been the case in the, in the Hebrew culture, is to be humble and obedient and teachable. Right. You know, and that's Absolutely. what we're to be, humble and teachable. That's right. And obedient. Exactly. And so as we get away from that worldview where the, elder is the one who has the wisdom and is to be honored. I think about that example. I think it was an 11-year-old, ironically, that's my son's age, who, did you see this? They gave a lecture, this girl, to everyone at the UN about how us old people are destroying the planet through CO2 emissions. Yeah, what was her name? I don't remember. I apologize. But 
What? Okay, uh, Eric, could you say the name? Do you have the mic still? Oh, I'm sorry. Barb could, if you could just say the name. And I don't mean to pick on her. Well, I'm going to give Barb credit for this, though, but it's Bre- Greta. Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg. Thunberg or something Thunberg, like that. Okay. Yeah, she was just a, a, a little so kid. So she, she ends up uh, browbeating oh, all yeah. the adults at the UN yeah. and around the world yeah. Yeah. by telling us what sinners we are for emitting CO2 through heating our homes and having to work and provide shelter for the children, right? But the, all the UN and the adults applauded her, and she is a hero because the youth is elevated in a pagan, post-Christian, post-Judeo-Christian culture Whereas the elder is the one who is viewed as being wise in, in this age. So, yeah, it's, um, it's problematic. And if you look at, for example, in Isaiah chapter 3, one thing that God did to Judah because of their sin is he gave them over to youthful leadership. What does the left want to do today with voting? Do they want to make it more difficult for the youth or easier for the youth to vote? Easier. Easier. That's right. Well... <laughs> That would be at odds with the biblical wisdom that we see in the scriptures. And so time and time again, you and I, our worldview, what we see taught in the scriptures is going to come into direct, really, contradiction with what we see in the culture today. Now, one other thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about is the gospel foolishness. Because, again, in Proverbs 1, what we're doing is we're defining foolishness versus wisdom. And one thing I want to handle here, because you'll see in the scriptures, like in 1 Corinthians where the gospel is referred to as being foolish. Notice what it says, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Paul says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, let's interact with that just a moment. Is Paul saying, and Bob is going to be teaching us this uh, fairly soon, is Paul the apostle telling us that the gospel is actual foolishness? No. He's using irony. And that's one of the things you're going to see in 1 Corinthians is the use of irony. If you don't understand Paul's use of it, you can be led off into faulty interpretation. What Paul is saying is, ironically to the world, they see the greatest wisdom of all time, Christ on the cross for the substitutionary atonement of sinners. They see that as great foolishness. But notice there's a contrast here. It's a strong contrastive conjunction. It says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So to the unregenerate world, prior to the Holy Spirit's regenerating them, what's the cross and the message of the gospel? Foolishness. But once you're regenerated and enabled to perceive and believe, what happens? Well, it's the very power of God. In fact, he says it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.24, but to those who are the called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and what? The wisdom of God. So the gospel, which is centered on the person and work of Christ, isn't foolishness at all. It is to the world, but to those who are in the know, those who belong to God or who are his elect, it's the very wisdom of God. Now, one thing I want to point out, this is a very strong text for the doctrine of election. Notice those who see it not as foolishness, that is the gospel and the cross, but as wisdom, it's those who are the called. And it's only those who are the called. That's the only way. I don't know how else you interpret this text. If the world, everyone hears the gospel, 
But it's foolishness to every single person except who? Or I should say whom? Get my direct object out there. It's the called. It's the chosen. It's the elect. So let's think about now, why would the cross be God's wisdom? Why is it so powerful? Because only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ do you have both the justice of God and the demands of the mercy of God, those demands being met. It's the only place. How else, how else can God remain just who demands that payment be paid but simultaneously be merciful to sinners? How else could it have happened except for Jesus Christ, the perfect one, who is of eternal worth, pays off our eternal debt? So God's justice is maintained He's just. Why? Because the payment's been paid. He didn't just wink at sin and let it go. He really paid it. In fact, he paid it through his son, who's of infinite worth to pay off the infinite debt. But because he paid it, therefore God could do what? He could be merciful. And so you and I see that and we say, this is real wisdom. Yes, Paul. I'm sorry, Carly. We're going to get you a workout today. (laughs) And we'll come back to your dad after you're done. Oh, no, I would just say amen. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Richie. Thank you. Yeah, that's allowed. That's right. When you say the cross, that's an inclusio for the entire gospel, right? Amen. Well said. That's a very, very good point. Yes. Um, We would call that a synecdoche, where one part refers to the whole. Um, Like if you said uh, the the Soviets during the Cold War, they say, I wonder what Washington is thinking. And they really mean the entire United States, right? But the part refers to the whole. And you're exactly right. The cross is part of the gospel. Another place where you'll see that sometimes, it'll refer to the resurrection of Christ. And that's a reference to his whole work because it's the capstone. But absolutely good point. When I'm talking about the work of the cross, it's the entirety of the gospel. Yep, and it's the greatest wisdom of God. So again, I want you to see this irony. Bob is going to be teaching us this. But if you think, hey, Paul's saying it's foolishness. What? No, he's not. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, okay? Now, I'm going to talk about Jesus being the very manifestation of wisdom. Years ago, when I was in seminary, I was learning logic. And one thing that really was impressed upon me was that logic was something that God made. In other words, when you were learning logic, you would almost be made to feel, feel bad about learning it by some Christians who wanted you to say to yourself, well, that's just something that man made. Well, think about that for just a moment. If God created all things and he created us in his image, well, you and I, I think we're created as rational beings. And so, for example, to understand his word, we have to use the laws of logic. Well, in the same way, we have to use wisdom. Wisdom and logic and reason, they all come from God. And what's very interesting is when you start looking at the passages in the Old Testament and in the New, the Messiah was going to be wisdom personified. Why? Because he was going to be the Almighty come in the flesh. He was going to be the Holy One of Israel. And so I want you to see that in the Old Testament, what was predicted that this Messiah was going to be endowed with wisdom. He was going to be the wisest of all. He was going to be the one who was endowed with supernatural wisdom. Isaiah 11, 1 through 2. Notice it says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. By the way, stop there for just a moment. This is an inclusio, what you were talking about, Paul. In verse 1, the Messiah is the shoot. He comes from David. 
right, from Jesse, who was the father of David. But when you get to verse 10, he's the root of Jesse. Well, how can one person be the one who comes from Jesse, from David's lineage, verse 1, but in Isaiah 11.10, be the root or the source of David? He comes from David, but he's the source of David. He must be truly man and truly God. Well, that's exactly who this messianic figure is going to be. So that's all in this text. It says, in a branch, here's the fallen branch idea, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Notice what it says, verse 2, the spirit of Yahweh, that's the Lord's name, all caps, will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the Messiah is going to be one who is endowed with supernatural wisdom. Why? Because he's God. And so lo and behold, he teaches in his synagogue, Matthew 13, 54, And the people realized that this is the wisest teachings that they've ever heard. It says he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Time and time again, a careful reader of the gospel will see that Jesus is fulfilling all of the expectations for the Messiah. He is the one who is endowed with supernatural wisdom. Remember in Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6, it says, When the Messiah comes on the scene, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will leap like a deer, and the poor will have the good news preached to them. Well, that's exactly what Jesus does during his earthly ministry, proving what? He's the Messiah. So, brothers and sisters, Jesus is endowed with wisdom. And as we learn Proverbs, we're learning how to think correctly. Remember, Proverbs calls us to be wise in that we are to fear the Lord alone and not anything that man can do. Why? Because we trust him. We have faith in him. But because we trust him, we really have to be those who live differently than the world. That's what Proverbs is calling us to. Do you guys hear that airplane or something going over? Or is it like a hum? I'm so used to being at the pulpit, and when that happens, it's because I'm over here and not over here. So I started moving right away. So anyway, I was thinking about that feedback issue. So anyway, that's what I wanted to leave with. Um, now, I want to get into our next material because we've got some homework as we read Proverbs 1, 8 through 19. And what I want to do is start there and we'll end there. And I think we can get through this. There was four questions I asked. The first one is, what is the main idea in this pericope? And no, I didn't misspell periscope. Uh, it's pericope. I, I don't know, Bob, you ever see that you try to type in pericope and it comes up periscope. You're the helpful uh, spell checker on the computer. But uh, what is the main idea of this section? Did anyone have a chance to work on that or want to share with us what they think the main idea of the pericope is? This section from verse 8 through verse 19 of Proverbs 1. Does anyone want to take, or we, and we can certainly go through this and then do this together at the end, but I just thought I would, would let someone, uh, yes, Paul. Just, uh, don't be mentally seduced. Yes, very good. It's a good summary. I like it. Um, Paul said, don't be mentally seduced by the evildoer. Amen. Very good summary. I like that. Exactly. Don't be mentally seduced by those who want to lead you to evil. Very good. Um, what is the source of godly wisdom in this section? Did anyone happen to detect that? And it's obviously God's word, but a little bit more narrow. Uh, Mike.
narrowly uh, in here, it is the mother and the father. And uh, uh, they're, they're, they're a moral authority, whatever moral Amen. authority you may have. Yeah, which, where Amen. are they getting that from? The Word of God, right? Amen. Well right. said, Mike. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point because it's predicated on your mother and father, obviously, not being foolish themselves. But again, the Proverbs is dealing with generalities. And in the culture of the day, the general idea was be most parents, obviously, love and have concern for their children and have some godly wisdom from the scriptures. So that's all assumed to be true, but you're right. It's the mother, the mother and the father are the source of wisdom here. Absolutely. Uh, this is something you want to pull out for your children or your kids if you're still raising them or your grandkids because they need to know that. Uh, what is the source of the ungodly counsel that has to be avoided? What was the source there? It's not the parents, obviously. It's, um, we probably all know, it's, it's the rabble, isn't it? It's the sinners who want to go do evil things, right? They're to be avoided. And like Mike was pointing out, it's the parents that should be listened to, all right? Now, remember, when you're a kid, and especially in America, it's not cool to listen to the older people, but to the younger people. That wasn't the way it was in the culture of Israel because they had a biblical worldview. So as a culture gets away from its biblical moorings, it becomes less acceptable to listen to those who are over the age of 30, and especially your parents. So the idea is don't listen to the rabble, these sinners who want to go do evil. Why? Because it'll destroy you. You'll go down the path to destruction. That's why. Uh, Are there any life examples? Does anyone have anything that they want to share? And we can, by the, Barb, yeah, go ahead. Um, when our girls were growing up, uh, we would read Proverbs 1 on the first day of the month. Yeah. And when they were little, we'd do like role playing with making up voices for the characters and everything. And just within the last month, the girls and I were reflecting when they were little, we didn't know anyone who was this awful who, you know, like it sure. sounds like they're in a gang or something looking yeah. to, for blood and they've got plunder in their houses. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like um, uh, hyperbole. It felt like sure. it was comic book yeah. type characters, imaginary. But we were reflecting that it feels really too real now yes. uh, as far as some of the evil is coming from teaching uh, in our culture yeah. and coming through the schools um, that there are uh, philosophies like Marxism that does drip blood. Yes, and, absolutely. Um, anyways, it didn't used to feel as relevant as it does today, I guess. Barb, that's well said. No, that's very astute. In other words, today, because of the culture itself and what's being taught in the schools, the young people are more prone to the message of the, the street fighter. Just, let's, a few years. Just, a few just a few years. Yeah, let's go and burn something down. Or um, the, the one example I was thinking of, does everybody remember some months ago, it was, I think, during the summer, you had this uh, truck driver. He was a Russian immigrant driving a truck, and he made the mistake of trying to do his job, driving down 35W, and BLM had taken over the entire road. Yeah. And, of course, he doesn't know that because it was never shut down properly. He almost hits them. He tries to not hit them. They end up pulling him out of his vehicle, and they end up beating on him. 
Now, this is a man who was working, trying to provide for his family. And these people took over a city highway that doesn't, or state highway that doesn't belong to them. But what did the culture do? Well, the culture said the innocent were those who tried to beat this man who was trying to work for a living. And they sided with the rabble who were attacking a man made in the image of God, working to support his family. I mean, that's a sick society. And I think, Barb, you're exactly right. Listening to the rabble today is so much more prevalent than it was when we were growing up and even uh, your kids. Yes, Eric. I was talking to a client last week. You know, this time of year I'm doing taxes for a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people. I just say, How, how's it been? How's it been going, you know? Yeah. And this, this woman that I was talking to, she just said it's been awful. And she described to me something that happened in the Buffalo school. Her, her son is, I think, in 10th grade. And they're teaching this uh, gender fluidity and all of this kind of stuff. And they were having an exercise in the class, or I don't remember all the details, but basically her 10th grade son made the mistake of calling, using the wrong pronoun for someone who thought of themselves as a woman but was but was uh, biologically male. And all of the girls in the class, they just, they just, you know, yelled and screamed. He just went hysterical. Her son came home. He was practically in tears. He couldn't believe it. You know that yeah. this. But they're teaching that actively, teaching that. And it's yeah. what it is. It's you break down people. You break people down. You have to break people. This is how psychological right. operations go. Yeah. And this is what's happening. You break people down, and then you have to control the narrative totally. Well said. Yeah. And then you have to shame anyone who strays from that. That's, that's what you right. got to do. That's right. That's what's going on with the coronavirus stuff, too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, Eric, very good. You know, what's uh, sad about it, too, is there's such contradictions. For example, do you remember Michelle Bachman? Her husband has a ministry dedicated to helping homosexuals leave their lifestyle. But homosexuality, according to the left, is fixed. You can't change that. But your gender isn't. So you can, you can be born a male and de- determine you're going to be a female, and that's fine. But being a homosexual and someone ministering to you saying, no, you should be heterosexual, that's verboten. That's fixed. And so there's not even continuity within their own thinking. Um, I remember Ben Shapiro was debating someone, and he talked about this fluidity with gender. And this woman is probably in her 20s or early 20s. And he said, well, how old are you? And he said, you're young enough where I won't offend you. And she said, 22 or whatever it was. And he asked her, why aren't you 61? If you feel like it. Um, so the point is, how many here raised their hand and, or wanted to uh, get a shot? Maybe most in here probably don't want to get a COVID shot. But let's say you wanted to jump the line and you're in your 30s. And he said, well, I actually feel 75. <laughs> you know, well, all of a sudden we say, well, no, you can't, you can't bend that one. But see, the rules are just being made up. That's the point, is it's completely at the whim of the Marxist because they want to break us down between the haves and the have-nots. Race, class, gender, that's their holy trinity. So, well said. Yeah, I'm sorry, we had uh, Solomon. Yeah, I, yes. I was just, um, like last week when you were teaching about the Babylon, I was really hoping that that whole teaching could have been in like a setting like this so we can ask questions. But then, good thing you brought up, the BLM. I'm not trying to defend Black Lives Matter. No, I'm not trying to defend them. I'm just saying 
I know people have not protested before in my life. In fact, right. I'm not a citizen, so I can't even do it because I don't want to go back home yet. So I'm just saying, like, it's a comment. It's not a question. I'm just yes. commenting. See, I know people who genuinely, like, they know them. They know Mariah. Mariah is a big fan of um, Black Lives Matter. Like, you, you pointed out last week that the foundation of the, of the body in BLM is based on um, lies and stuff. And they, but then I was telling Eric Hamilton, like, last week, there are some people who are actually looking for a change when it comes to different scenarios. Sure. And that was one thing I was actually trying to point out is that not everybody who support Black Lives Matter That's are actually right. gaining from the, from the event or are actually against the society or against people. So I was just going to mention that. Thank you, Solomon. You're right. Not everyone who is part of BLM understands what that organization is really about. And so they're looking to affect some sort of change. The one issue that I, I would have is um, with some of the perceptions that are out there about the police officers, I, don't, I think there's been a lot of lying in the culture about the way police officers handle different races. Um, and I could give many examples. One would be Ferguson, the lie about um, hands up, don't shoot. Well, let's review the tape a little bit, and you'll find that this 300-pound 18-year-old, first of all, roughed up an elderly man who was running a cigar store in stole. Well, now you're stealing. You're roughing up someone who's you know, much older and much smaller to steal. He was high on drugs. He assaults a police officer, tries to punch him. Well, what does the world think the police officer is going to do? Police officers don't like to get punched. And they certainly don't want their firearm to be stolen so that they can be shot with it. And so what's interesting is, um, let's take Trayvon Martin, that example. Trayvon Martin was a burglar. We know that because there was actual pictures of his burglary bag that he had. And his burglary bag actually had a bunch of loot in it that came from a neighbor's home. And we know that because they actually have the satellite photo of this woman's home that was burglarized. Well, in Dade County, Florida... Hold on one second, I'll just continue. In Dade County, Florida, they had a new system set up in the, the schools. And because they didn't want to arrest or incarcerate any people of color, they made Trayvon Martin do school type of disciplinary action, so they expelled him. So why was he in that neighborhood when he ends up beating on George Zimmerman? Well, because he was no longer in his home town. He had been expelled from school rather than jailed for burglary to spare him the indecency of incarceration. So what he does is he attacks the neighborhood watch guy who ends up shooting him dead. So now he's dead. Whereas in a conservative worldview, someone who steals would be jailed and he'd still be alive today. So these are things that aren't well thought out. Um, and I, I don't see a lot of that truth getting out into the public. And that's one of the problems. So yeah, Solomon, continue. Oops, we'll, we'll get the microphone back. Yeah, I guess George Floyd wasn't the mother Teresa. No, no, no. Just, just for another comment, not like I'm trying to argue with yeah, you. Or yeah, yeah. Another comment. You said the, the report about the police brutality against other colors, in your opinion, are falsely presented. Some, some are. Some of them are falsely yep. presented. But then I drive for Lyft. Sure. I'm a Lyft driver. I've been driving for two years and five months. 
the different stories we hear, to your, to your opinion, you're right. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. But I'm telling you, if you, dig in, if you dig deep, you will see the ratios is actually different. Okay. I have a person who told me, a white guy who told me, he has a 3W, um, DUI, 3. And then he said, there is no way in this world I'm supposed to have the job I have. But I still have the job. Sure. So that is the other side of the story you're not saying. The other side of the story, again, that you've not seen, I, I mean, I, I assume you've not seen it, is that if I get pulled over by a cop, sure. I do all the necessary things. I put my hands on the wheel. I make sure my seatbelt is tied. Yeah. But I can assure you I know people who, when they get pulled over, they open their door. I'm like, hey, officer, can I help you? I can say that. Is it disrespectful to say that to the cops? Do you think it's disrespectful if I say, hey, officer, how's it going? Can I help you? Do, do I think that? No, I don't think that exactly, at all. Exactly, but the confidence you have to say, no, I can't. I can't do it. I can't say it to him. I know it's not disrespectful, but I just can't because I can't predict his reaction. You wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. But, I, but just for common purposes, it's really different, Eric. It yeah. is super different. Like, I, I, um, I bet like, it differ. Again, now. again, yeah. again, you said the guy punched the cop, right? And you yeah. said society or the cops would not appreciate being punched. But here's the thing. Yeah. I, yeah, could, so- I could say you've read the Bible back to back how many times? How many times have you read the Bible back to back, cover to cover? I'm sorry, what, what's that? How many times have you read the Bible cover to cover? Oh, many, many times. Exactly, yeah. but I've done it only once. So the knowledge I have about the scripture is nowhere compared to the knowledge you have about the scripture. Am I right? Well, you know what? I, I don't know what your knowledge is, but let's keep it relevant to what the yeah, issues yeah, yeah. Let, are. Yeah, yeah let's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to relate it to the both of us. Sure. So am I right? If I, if I, like the way you explained the whole of Babylon, like I was telling Eric Cummingson, sure. it's totally different. They were all brand new to me. So I was really happy that I, I was in church. Yes. But then, the way you will approach a Bible verse will be totally different the way I will approach it. You are standing as a preacher, preaching to us, and everybody is like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know why? Because number one, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, you devoted your time in studying the Bible. Okay, Solomon, let so, me stop no, no, you right no. there. I want to bring it back to my conversation. Okay, let's stop there right there because let me. No, no, no. I want to, let me. If I bring it back to what I'm saying, I think that might just help. Okay, all right. What I'm quickly. saying is this: the cops have more knowledge about the about the law, about society, about defense mechanism to the individual. I'm sorry, they have more knowledge than about. Um... When it comes to the law, when it comes to defending self-defense, okay. they have more knowledge. Sure. Than me. I didn't go to any military school. I have nothing. Sure, I don't sure. even know how to defend myself. So, I mean, I'm just saying, but you said society did not expect the, cop, the boy to punch the cop, and the cop does not like. No, I know. We're, we're getting up, a up, I think, a, a field here. Let me just say um, regarding why someone should listen to me isn't because I'm um, filled with the Holy Spirit, although all believers are. It's because I help people understand what the scriptures say. And so, when someone is armed with the truth of scripture, helping people understand the intent of the biblical author, that's why they should be listened to. So I don't have any special anointing more than any other Christian. My job is just to study hard and understand what the texts have said to teach it to brothers and sisters. Let me just leave with this. My wife and I actually had to leave a community because of the mistreatment by the police. 
Um, long story short, we were run off the road by a drunk driver. We end up hitting a mailbox that was the exact replica of a man's home. It was that expensive. This guy had shingles on his mailbox. Well, the guy who ran us off the road was a friend of one of the police officers, and he was drunker than a skunk, and they never did any breathalyzer on him. Well, when we complained about that, we started getting harassed by the police. I mean, where I got pulled over, I pulled out of our driveway and started pulling away, and I got pulled over, and they called. They said that um, the reason they pulled me over was unnecessary acceleration. I was driving a Honda Civic. I said, my Honda Civic, it was like .3 hamsters, right? Powerful. You could do zero to 60. You'd have to use a calendar to time it. Like day one, day two, yep, you're to 60. I mean, the car wasn't even capable of unnecessary acceleration. So my wife and I have actually left a community because of certain harassment. So I assure you, this isn't something that's always uh, color-based. The other item I would mention, just looking at our culture at large, Jesse Smollett, how many remember that story? Jesse Smollett hired out a couple of men to attack him to blame it on white conservative Trump supporters. How many know that in Adolf Hitler's Germany, Jews did not have to hire out their mistreatment? My grandpa was a tanker of World War II. He knew German. He spoke Frisian Dutch. He buried, was there at the death camps, and he saw them piled up like wood. That's a holocaust. What we have in America is a very decent culture by and large. And to say anything else, to, to say, well, no, it's a prim- predominantly racist nation, I don't think Jesse Smollett would have had to hire out his attack. I'll just leave it at that. But um, we may have a different reading on the way society is, but I think that the evidence would support that this primarily is a decent nation as far as race relations go. But let me get into the material in uh, Proverbs 1, 8 through 9, or excuse me, 19, actually. I had the wrong thing written down here. Uh, Let me just go through the outline here quickly. I want to talk about there's going to be an introductory appeal. That's what we see. Listen to your parents, verses 8 through 9. Listen to them. They have godly wisdom to offer. Then we're going to get to verse 10. There's going to be a protasis, apotasis in verse 10. What's that? Protasis is if this, apotasis is then that. So if the gang tempts you, then apotasis don't go with them. And then what happens is verses 11 through 14 expands the protasis. If they do this, if they say this, if they say this, if they say this, if they say this, then verses 15 through 18 expands the apotasis. Then, then, then don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Then verse 19, you have the concluding warning. That's how this whole section, to me, is structured. Let's talk about appeal to hear one's parents. Let's put that up. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. Listen, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Notice in red here the term hear. This is a significant word, more significant than we often give it Uh, credence for in our English vernacular. We hear the term hear, it simply means hear something. Uh, Just the sounds are going through my, the sound waves are going through my eardrum. But hearing in the Bible means hearing with faith and obedience. Uh, Remember Deuteronomy 6.4, the famous Shema, hear. In fact, that's the term Shema. In Hebrew, it means to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. 
So was Israel just to hear that and say, oh yeah, I've heard that before. No, they were to hear it and believe it. So the idea of hearing the father's instruction and that of the mother means you believe what they say, you take it to heart and you obey it. Uh, think about John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Right? No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given to me, and he is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of the Father in my son's hand, or my hand. So I think that's John 10, 27 through 28. Right? So here, um, think about the seven messages to the churches in Revelation. John says in each one of them, hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. So, yes, it's a message to the seven churches, but it's applicable to every Christian that you'll also be given the right to partake of the tree of the knowledge of, or excuse me, the tree of life, if you will believe in the promises of God. So that's the idea of hearing. I just want you to think about all those passages where hearing is extremely significant. That's the idea of, of hearing here. Yes, hearing with belief. Now, notice here in verse 9, it says, indeed, if you hear the father and mother's instructions, they're going to be a graceful wreath around your head and ornaments about your neck. Dear ones, these, this is probably synonymous parallelism here. Both the wreath, which is the liwaya, and the ornaments, which is the enak, this had to do with, first of all, reward that you would get if you won a race or some Olympic event, for example. Back in those days, um, you probably would have different events throughout the Greco-Roman world. By the way, the Olympics were around since 776 B.C., so they were familiar with those things. But the other item of the ornament, the Enoch, would be in the culture of the day, the Jews would have known that people who were given different positions, whether it was a city clerk or whether you were a governor of a province, they would hold their office credentials around their neck. There would be some symbol of it. And so that's the symbology that's being used here. In other words, if the son or the daughter is going to honor their father and mother by heeding their instructions, it's going to be great blessing and honor to them. They're going to be honored like the city clerk who is honored with the vestments of the city attached to his neck. They're going to be an honor and a blessing to their parents. They're going to be those who are honored with long life generally. Again, these are always general principles. Okay. Now, one thing I want to ask here is, what are our parallelisms? Does anyone see any parallelisms in verse 8? Uh, synonymous or synthetic or antithetical? Um, I think this may be synthetic. Bob, do you have a comment on that as one? As far as the first section? First, yeah, verse 8. Father and mother part. Yeah. Synonymous. Yeah. Father's book. Father's instruction. Mother's teaching yeah. as a synonymous. That's how I'd see it. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's just further elaboration. Yeah. See they meeting both of those are makes you well decked out. Yes. That would be synthetic because it's just adding to it. Amen. Well said. So notice the parallelism. I think that's exactly how I read it. So listen to what Bob said. Verse eight, you have synonymous parallelism. So let's not distinguish too hard between the father and the mother's instruction or teaching. They're synonymous. The idea is listen to your parents, right? So it's synonymous. And then, like Bob is saying, there seems to be this addition to it. Why should you? Well, there's the consequence. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. 
It'll bring honor and blessing to your life. That's the idea. Now, let me keep going for the sake of time. Verses 10 through 14, the enticement of the rabble. It says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. Notice here at the very beginning, my son, if in sinners entice you, there's the protesis. Okay, notice the if. If this, then the implied apotesis, then do not consent. Don't agree with them in your mind and don't do what they ask you to do. Now, the rest of verses 11 through 14 then fill in more of the if they do this, the apotesis. If they tempt you this, if they say this, if they say this, it's all part of the enticement. All right? Now, notice the enticement. If they say, come, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause. The term innocent there in Hebrew is naki. If you're going to write that in English, it would be N-A-Q-I, the naki. The innocent person is a person who does not deserve to be violently attacked. I know that probably sounds fairly basic, but think of it this way. We think about, in the Bible, terms of sin and not sin. Every single human being is not innocent in the sense that we've all rebelled against God. Okay, we're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Are we, is that correct, Romans 3.23? But does that mean every single one of us should be incarcerated? No, you wouldn't have a... Fun- if we jailed all sinners, you wouldn't have anyone left. You wouldn't have a jailkeeper. They'd be in jail too. We'd all be just fellow inmates, right? So the innocent are those who are not breaking the law of the land as far as stealing, as far as murder, those types of things. So they've done nothing wrong in the sense of law, and they haven't attacked any other human being. This is a big deal. And yet... This rabble is saying, come, let us, what? Let's attack the innocent. And they're doing it, notice the added, without cause. That's evil. Now, let's apply that to our culture today. I made a statement a few weeks ago. What's more loving to protect your neighbor's gas station from being looted and burned? That's what Kyle Rittenhouse did. Or to burn and loot your neighbor's gas station. Well, of course, it's more loving to protect your neighbor's gas station than to loot it. But who's in jail? The looters are the one who protected it. The one who protected it. That's how sick our society is. That's how devoid of biblical wisdom it really is. All right? So, to me, (laughs) when I see a Kyle Rittenhouse who stops, I don't know if you've ever seen the video, but someone tries to take a dumpster fire and put it next to the gas pump, burn the whole thing down. He takes a fire extinguisher, douses it. They say, let's kill him. They start chasing him and attacking him. And he's got a rifle. One thing I learned from my dad, don't pull on Superman's cape and say to anyone who has a gun, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, right? That's what you do with the police. Well, they're chasing this guy with a gun and they attack him physically. And he defends himself, and yet he's in jail, and the rabble isn't. So I just want you to start thinking about biblical case 
the innocence a big deal? What cause was there to harm Kyle Rittenhouse? For dousing a fire? Is that cause to harm him? No, therefore, what is he? Well, he's the innocent. So these are things that the culture should think about. Uh, Notice in verse 12, let us swallow them alive like Sheol. Sheol, by the way, in Hebrew is the grave. You have synonymous parallelism here. It's the pit. It's the place of of the dead. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we see Sheol is not just the place of the grave, but it's also the place of the unregenerate. In fact, in Revelation 20, Sheol is going to be thrown where? Into the lake of fire. And you see some hints of that in the Old Testament as well, but Sheol is typically just the grave. So these evildoers want to take the innocent, they want to put them right in the grave. That's what they want to do. How many in here have ever seen the show The First 48 Hour? I think maybe The First 48 Hours. It's about these detectives. They have to go to crime scenes. And if they don't have clues to who did the murder in the first 48 hours, they're probably not going to catch the bad guy. Well, inevitably, they'll get some person who did it. And if they confess, it's like they stole a pair of socks. Yeah, I shot the guy five times. (sighs) Uh, You know, they they yawn. That's that's what little disregard they have for human life. Um, Years ago, many of you probably remember the self-esteem movement. The problem with humanity was that we just didn't have enough self-esteem. That is not the problem with humanity. The problem is we have too much self-esteem. Do you know they've done studies where they find the people that have the highest self-esteem are the criminals. The issue for morality isn't whether you have high self-esteem. The issue is whether you have esteem for your fellow human beings. That's the issue. That's why, remember in Philippians 2.4, it says, look not only at your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Is it looking out for the interest of others to steal their stuff and to murder them? Or to loot their gas station? No. So that's what's being warned about. Don't follow those who want to shed innocent blood. Let me leave you with this. I want to talk about the difference between killing and murder. Exodus 20.13 says, you shall not murder. I cannot stand it. One thing that just drives me crazy is when you'll hear people say, it says, thou shall not kill. It is not thou shall not kill. It is thou shall not murder. Um, There was a jury trial once. I saw it on TV, and this person, the foreman of the jury, was saying, no, we can't condemn this person to death because, after all, the commandment says thou shall not kill. That is not what the commandment says. The commandment says, thou shall not murder. Now, what's the difference? Murder, by definition, is immoral killing. By the way, the term in Hebrew for murder is ratzak. Ratzak, the typical term that's used for killing is harag. So if I was going to shoot a deer, I'm not ratzak, I'm harag. I'm killing it. Now, there's some interchangeability in the language. In other words, sometimes you'll have harag used for murder, but we do the same thing. Sometimes if we talk about the killer, technically you should be using the term murderer. Who was the killer in the case um, when John F. Kennedy was shot? It was Lee Harvey Oswald. Well, we know if we were to really get our morality straight, it was actually the murderer. But we still use that language interchangeably. The Bible does that a little bit too. So here's how you're going to determine what legitimate killing is and what illegitimate killing is. It's the innocent. The innocent 
must not be harmed, the Nike. And we see that, for example, in Exodus 23, 7, where the Lord says, Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. So notice who are you not to kill, the innocent, the Nike, the one who's done nothing wrong. You don't put someone to death because they went jaywalking, right? You don't kill them. You also don't kill the righteous. This is probably synonymous here. The term righteous there is tzaddik. Right? So that's the difference between killing and murder. When a U.S. Marine shoots a terrorist, he's not murdering the terrorist. He's killing him. Why? Because Romans 13.4, Paul says they do not bear the sword in vain. The government is in charge of restraining evil. Is the terrorist innocent? No, they're not. (laughs) Are they righteous? No, they're not. So therefore, in battle, they can be killed. Now, let's say you have a police officer off-duty who goes berserk in a restaurant, and he just starts shooting up the place. Just because he's a police officer, is that okay to do? No, because he would be murdering the innocent and the righteous. So that's what we have to keep in our mind. Murder is killing of the innocent, which is immoral. Yes, Carly? So abortion be considered murder? Absolutely. Absolutely. He has no choice in the... Right, they're innocent, aren't they? Whoops, I keep pushing... One day I'm going to be in Mike's lap here. I'm going to keep pushing this forward. Um, Absolutely, Carly, you're right. So the baby's done nothing wrong. Again, we affirm that every human being is born a sinner, but when it it comes to innocent versus non-innocent regarding punishment, the idea has to do with actions in this life. And because the baby's done nothing deserving death, yes, it would be the murder of the innocent, absolutely. So that's the dividing line. By the way, um, well, we're out of time. We'll, We'll come back to this because this is an important issue. One of the things that a culture has to define is who is it acceptable to kill and who must be protected. The more pagan the culture becomes, the more deformed this understanding will be and the more innocent people will end up dying. And that's what you'll see through Marxism and all the false religions that supplant Christianity. But let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray that you'd give us wisdom. Help us to discern these categories between the innocent and those who deserve justice. Um, We do pray, Heavenly Father, that we would develop a biblical worldview so that we would think as you would have us to, that we would live lives that are pleasing, that we would bring honor and glory to your name. We pray for Bob as he introduces the book of 1 Corinthians to us. We pray, Lord, that you'd bless him, that you'd open our ears to hear in a saving way, that we may live lives that are different than the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, thanks, Carly. Thanks so much. It's so kind of you.